Welcome to LilyPod episode 22, The Power of Intention. Jeff and Kathy Teichert bringing you another episode of LilyPod, which is a production of Love in Later Years. We are certified life coaches and members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Our messages are directed toward mid-singles and later married couples. We also welcome all who enjoy personal growth and enriching relationships. We really love the word intention. It's the foundation of our marriage and a word that we use quite often in our vocabulary here at home. And my 10-year-old was interested in what it meant because he knows that our the book we wrote is called Intentional Courtship and he wanted to know what intention meant. And so when I when I shared that with him and he learned what it meant, even he got really excited about that word. And do you think he comprehended it? I actually do. I think so. And I think he has started setting intentions for different things in his life. Uh, intention uh, is defined as one Uh, what one intends to do or bring about, the object for which a prayer is offered, a determination to act in a certain way, an act or instance of determining mentally upon some action or result, a mental state that represents a commitment to carrying out actions in the future. Intention involves mental activities such as planning and forethought. Thanks, Kathy. I uh, I also like this word intention, and, and among those definitions that you just read, the one I think that is perhaps the most pertinent to the way we're using it in this podcast is a determination to act in a certain way. And I think that's really important in being able to have some level of, of control over what kind of relationship you're going to develop. And so you can set intentions that, uh, you know, we're going to go on a date every week and it's going to be on Tuesday night at 630 or whatever. And it's going to be on Friday night at seven. You know, you could na- name any date and time, but somebody might set an intention to do that, knowing that regular dating is good for a marriage. Well, and to go beyond that. Uh, setting intentions for how we want the date to go. Um, For instance, you can set a certain mood um, for increasing connection by deciding what topics to discuss, you know, rather than um, everyday business, make it something that will renew your relationship that you talk about and put your phones aside. And, you know, for those who are married, it can, um, it can not only increase connection, but also the, um, the mood for lovemaking if you're married. Right. And uh, I'd, I'd actually like to really quickly just, you know, go over uh, words that are synonymous with intention, you know. So if you hear these words, they're very similar. Um, aim, purpose, objective, goal, design, plan, resolution, determination, wish, desire, ambition, dream, aspiration, and hope. Right. I love a lot of those words. Um, although... You know, we actually were we're talking about goals and how uh, goals 
are different than intention. They're not the same thing, but intention can be a component of goal setting. I think another good way to describe intention is if I set an alarm when I go to bed to wake me up at 7 a.m. Now, a number of things can happen to thwart that. The power might go out. My clock might break. I mean, there's, there's a number of things that could happen, but ordinarily, if I'm setting my clock to 7 o'clock every work day, I'm going to be up at that time the vast majority of the time. Whereas if I just say, well, I'll wake up whenever I get up, uh, you know, you, you'll find yourself staying up later and sleeping in later uh, as often as not. And and maybe that's fine for your line of work. But if, if you're in a line of work where you kind of need to be available during business hours, setting an intention to get up at a certain time helps you toward that objective. Well, and what's interesting about that example is that I actually set different intentions with my sleep. Uh, I do actually prefer the sleep quality I get earlier in the evening. Um, and so I'd rather wake up naturally earlier, but I really, I am healthier when I don't set an alarm. So I know I can face my day with a lot more energy and I actually get more done making sure that I get my, you know, solid eight hour average. So acting with intention, using the example Kathy just gave, it can vary from situation to situation. And from person to person. Depending on the objective and the needs. Exactly. Um, so that's where intention is so great because it can be custom tailored to you. Right. It, it, it's a, it is the way that you channel your, your energies and personal authority into having the kind of life that you intend to have. Right. And, you know, being intentional allows us to be purpose-driven. And, you know, as we said, the uh, intention is not the same as a goal, but it can be a component. And we think a good model for adding the power of intention to your goal setting is SMART goals. Uh, you may have heard of them before, but it's SMART stands for Specific, Measurable, Achievable, Relevant, and Time-Bound. Yes, and those are all important components of setting a good goal, a SMART goal, if you can remember the acronym. I think the way we can distinguish between a goal and an intention, if you look at, all right, I'm going to get up every weekday at 7 a.m., that's setting an intention. I don't think that's really a goal. Uh, I think it is uh, something to, to, to move you toward a goal. Also, I think there are, there are other things. You could say, you know, whenever a certain thing happens in our home, this is how I'm going to react. And, and that, that's a, almost a policy that you're setting uh, when you decide to act with intention on recurring kinds of things. Yeah, we love uh, setting policies uh, and agreements that help nurture and save our relationship from, from destructive forces. <laughs> Right. Because we can all be destructive forces if uh, we're emotionally overwhelmed. One more little uh, thing about goal setting, and then we can sort of move on from that subject. Uh, Sean Covey, who is the son of, of the late Stephen R. Covey, who was a great um, thinker about organizational behavior, mission statements, and things like that, wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Well, Sean Covey is one of the leaders at the Covey Leadership uh, or at the, I guess, Franklin Covey Leadership Center now. 
And uh, the way he wrote a book called The Four Disciplines of Execution, and, and execution is not so much about setting goals, but how you carry your goals forward. And it's interesting, a lot of executives have, uh, when surveyed, you know, they'll, they will report, okay, where do you fall down most? Is it in setting goals or is it, is it in executing? And, you know, 90% of them will say that the problem is in the execution. So he wrote a book about execution. Most people focus on lag measures. So they're making the wrong goals to start with in a way. I mean, it's not that you don't want lag, lag measures, but that's not where your focus is. A lag measure would be something like how much money are we going to make in our company this month? Or how many new clients are we going to get? Well, and it makes sense that people would focus on that because that is a big reason they work, right? Right. You know, and, and in a relationship, you could say, I want to be in a relationship with someone by the end of this year that I have the potential Oh, I remember saying that for several years. <laughs> <laughs> and so there, there are, you know, those are lag measures. That's like a desire, really, right. that you can't control entirely. Right. And a lead measure is something you have more control over. You may not be able to to set a goal for sales this month and, you know, achieve that. But what you can do is to say, I want to send out, you know, 20,000 email emails. Uh, you, you might say, I want to post on social media three times a day, or I want to meet with two advertising consultants this week to determine a new strategy. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of lead measures uh, that will ultimately move your lag measures. But Sean Covey is saying you focus on the lead measures. So when, when you look at that in terms of relationships, it may be impossible really to, to say, I want to be in a relationship by the end of this year. No, it's possible to say it. You can say but it. But you can make okay it happen. It. But right. you could set the intention and you could do everything on the lead measure side. Like right. I will go out three times a week on a date with right. a new person and I'm going to meet X amount of people this year so that I have the opportunity to possibly have a few that I could actually see myself with. Right. I'll message one new person every day on this particular dating app. You know, I mean, there, there's all kinds of lead measures you could use uh, in your social life as a mid-single as well. Well, and with health, uh, which we all, you know, are concerned about, you know, we would all like to weigh a certain amount, but we don't control the scale. But what we do can do is we can say that we, we want to eat healthy and not just that we want to, but we will. And then we wake up in the morning and we do that. We eat healthy, we exercise and we take care of our body. And then we allow the scale to be what it is. Right. And I mean, if you're, if you're using the power of intention and you have set an intention, okay, for breakfast, I'm going to, to have, uh, something healthy, you know, and you, you come up with three or four foods, a boiled egg or something, just as an example. And then you walk in and look in your pantry and you see the sugar frosted flakes. Well, if you're using the power of intention, you say, no, I've set the intention to eat the boiled egg. I have those uh, prepared in the bottom drawer of the fridge or whatever. And mm, so preparation is huge. I think in our intentions too. Right. Well, yeah. and, and, and emotion, because what's going to help you stick to your intention is the, the emotion behind it. 
Right. How how great does it feel to eat healthy? Right. And I'm going to do that for myself. Right. And and being intentional is not necessarily just eating whatever is convenient or uh, whatever seems good at the time, but maybe following a particular eating plan if you have desires to be healthier or lose some weight or whatever your goal might be. That's just an example of something we can apply the power of intention to. You know, I, I actually think his book in a large sense is really about focusing on what you can control and letting go of the things that you cannot. Right. But saying it in a way that is very uh, business-minded and organizational, which is great. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so besides setting intentions for date night, like we, we've already talked about, you can also be deliberate about the creation of your family culture. Whether you're single or married, you have you know a family or a community and um, if if you if you get remarried and you have you're blending two families, um, well married or remarried actually you're always blending two different families of origin um, that are both similar and different and you can either keep or let go of any of those um, those family cultures that you know based on your own preferences and whether those things were good or not. Right. I have two sons that are grown. And when they were growing up, one of the things that, that I did, and I did this with intention, because I, I mean, I remember when my oldest was maybe 10 or 11, and he was going through some ish social problems at school and getting bullied a little bit and, you know, just didn't seem to be thriving very well. And I, I uh, decided to take him on an outing and we went to Godfather's Pizza and we got pizza and we played, you know, played some video games and spent some time together, and I had an opportunity to talk to him and build him up a little bit. And it, it, he told me it was one of the best times he'd ever had with me after that was over. And so I made it a practice after that every couple of months to take each of my kids on a little date uh, where we might go and get some food or, you know, they might get to pick out an item for $5 or less at the store. You know, any anything that allowed me to spend a, a special amount of time with them. And now that Kathy and I are married, I've carried that ritual into this family and it's helped me to bond with my stepkids. Oh yeah. They love it. And did you call it outings with yes. your boys too? That's what we called it. So he has two boys and I have two boys and so... He uh, stepped right into the role pretty easily because he's already done it all <laughs> before. <laughs> um, I've loved that tradition too, and you've stepped into our some of our family traditions that we developed while I was a mid single after after my divorce. Um, you know things we do during the holidays, right? And uh, making birthdays a whole week long ordeal, right? <laughs> that was kind of new for you, <laughs> that part, right? And I think some of it is bringing, bringing some of the best rituals from my former family and her former family, and some of it is creating new ones together. Uh, I, I think that that can be a very bonding uh, thing. And, and I think in a funny way, I mean, I, I've told this story before, but in my first marriage, you know, on payday, I would spend my lunch hour budgeting out the money and, you know, figuring out what bills we were going to pay and, and how much it were going to cost and so forth. And then that night 
my former wife and and our baby would they'd come and pick me up after work and we would go shopping. We were living in American Samoa then and the largest grocery stores at that time were about the size of a 7-Eleven. So we had to go to a lot of different stores to get all the things we wanted. And it took all evening. And, you know, it was really kind of idyllic. You'd drive around this beautiful tropical island and see little brown kids playing volleyball or cricket and lava lavas or swimming in the ocean. I remember those. I bet they were so cute. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and they're all cousins if they're in the same village, uh, you can almost bet. So, but that was a ritual that we continued through our marriage. And honestly, the first time my former wife told me she didn't want me to come grocery shopping with her, I knew our marriage was in trouble. <laughs> it was just because that was a ritual that we had never disrespected. And then suddenly, no, I'd rather go on my own. Right. So rituals are actually a comforting thing because we, right. we learn to rely on those. Um, yeah, that, that actually makes a lot of sense. I'd like to, um, kind of wrap up this discussion of family culture with just uh, kind of a, a very special thing that we've we've come to understand, and that is generational shifting. I don't know if any of our listeners have heard of that before, but we each have a calling, or at least we believe we do, to elevate our family legacy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whatever your family background is, um, there's always the opportunity to create one step better from what you experienced growing up. Right. If, if your pattern growing up, for example, was, you know, anytime mom and dad started yelling at each other, you ran to your room. You know, maybe that was a dysfunctional pattern in your, in your That's family. That's like a flight response, isn't it? Yeah. And, and you may have, you may carry that tendency into adulthood that whenever there's a stressful situation, you withdraw or you go to your room or something. And if, if, if you have decide to construct a relationship intentionally, you can decide when it's stressful, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to stay where I am and deal with it. I mean, that would just be one example. Right. And another example would be if your family always stayed in the same room and fought it out for hours and hours and hours, um, then maybe what you do is you shift that to taking timeouts when you're feeling emotionally flooded and um, that's something we're gonna we're gonna get to a little bit later, but yeah, generational shifting is is something to consider as well as creating a deliberate family culture. Right. Yeah. If I could say one more thing about um, about date, we we mentioned date night a little bit earlier, and this can be for both married and single. And Kathy mentioned that you know you may do things intentionally to set the mood for increased connection and lovemaking if you're a married person. One thing I want to point out uh, when this comes to dating is oftentimes when you're in a new relationship, you don't have to be very intentional at all to create a romantic mood. It just sort of flows and, you know, you kind of want to be all over each other. And uh, But as time passes, uh, you know, you become very familiar with each other, if whether you're in a long dating relationship or you're married. And that is where I believe some people get stuck because it, you'll hear people say things like, well, if it's not spontaneous and 
involuntary almost, um, then it's not really love. It's, it's not genuine. And the, the point is that keeping that spark or putting it back once in a while requires intention. And, and there's Absolutely. nothing phony about it. It's just part of human nature as you become more familiar. Absolutely. Well, and I think also setting intentions for a first date, uh, being willing to put away your phone and not be distracted and focus on the other person. Uh, I think that familiar time when you're talking about is once a, a relationship is a little bit more established, but not to the point where um, arguments have happened yet. Right. right? I mean, well, yeah, and, and you may get to a point later, you know, maybe you've been dating someone a year and you wonder, oh, should I marry this person or not? I don't quite feel the same as I used to. You know, at first I couldn't keep my hands off him or her. And, you know, now I don't feel anything half the time. And, and I think the thing to say about that is it's normal, but it can also be destructive. So it requires some intention to create that spark. And that could include, you know, I think Kathy looks really great when she dresses up nice and puts on lipstick. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's a, it, it allows me to, to remember uh, the times when we were dating or other times when we've been close and connected. Right. So we try to dress up on our date nights. Right. Yeah. All right. So uh, as we've talked about before, emotional, uh, emotional overwhelm can negatively impact a relationship. And if you don't govern your relationship with intention, you'll end up governing it with emotion, which mm. as Jeff says, is a hot mess. Right. Intentionality is how we create the relationships we want instead of allowing it to degenerate into chaos. And intention allows you to consciously decide to act differently or overcome destructive impulses you may feel and create patterns that will enhance the relationship. And, and to, to use scriptural language, it allows you to act rather than being acted upon. So if you're inclined, for example, to, to blow up at your kids and you don't like this, you can set an intention. And when you feel tempted to, you can remember no, I've decided I'm going to my room when this happens, when mm -hmm. I feel like yelling at my kids. Well, and that actually reminds me of uh, a truth that, that I've learned as being um, a follower of the love and logic approach, and that is children do not require instant uh, decisions from us all the time. I right. mean, yes, you know, there are some advantages to being able to discipline on the spot, especially when the kids are young and they don't really know how to, how to tie it to a previous behavior. But you know, if we're going to lose it, that's going to be helpful. And so we really can put off making decisions or, you know, figuring out how to solve something if we need to take a moment. Right. Another example that's very related and that, that's quite similar um, it, being intentional in, in a relationship is making an agreement with your partner. Uh, so, and, and one of those agreements that Kathy and I have is if either one of us is triggered or what we call flooded, meaning overwhelmed by emotion, uh, we will, either one of us has the right in the moment to declare a timeout. And all they have to say is time out. 
no, no last words, no parting shots. Once somebody says timeout, it's a, it's a pause button. And later on the relationship, you know, you come back together after both people are calm and you talk about it again. Sometimes so, we set a timer for 20 minutes. And then if one of us, and then if we start into the conversation and one of us is still not calm enough to have it, then we just set it to another timer. Right. Sometimes and, we get a lot done during those moments that we could have just spent hours like totally wasting, not only wasting our time, but being destructive. Right. I mean, you. it is very easy in marriage to degenerate into a contest of who is the worst person. Oh my goodness. Um, and that's the worst, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. You know, well, you did this and it, that hurt my feelings. Oh, this from the person who does such and such. Oh, that's rich. Well, you do, you know, and that's just a race to the bottom. Uh, but anyway, if something like that begins, then that's a time to call a timeout and say, no, we're going to be intentional. We're not going to treat each other like that. We're going to talk to each other lovingly and respectfully, even when we don't agree. Yeah. And having this policy and agreement and then abiding by it has really helped a lot. Yeah. I think it prevents you from getting to that boiling point. Even if you don't explode, that boiling point of where you're so upset that you say things that you don't really mean, or maybe you mean it in that moment, but you really don't mean it in your right mind. Right. Exactly. I think you totally mean it in that moment. Right. But you don't if you're, you know, really paying attention to the relationship that matters to you. Right. So, so making agreements with your spouse about how you're going to handle difficult moments is essential. It's vital to creating an intentional marriage. And I believe in dating where you're kind of practicing marriage in a way, sort of part-time practicing marriage, coming up with rituals like that can uh, be very powerful where you agree, mutually agree how you're going to handle something. Well, and for us, if it's a really big topic uh, and coming back together to discuss it isn't, it's going to happen, but we maybe are at a loss of how to, to, to move forward with the, whatever the topic is, um, prayer can help too. Sure. And I, I've known situations where Kathy and I were talking and uh, she said, we need to shift the tone of this discussion. Can we pray? Uh, and, and that you know, is another example of, of using intention rather than just sort of doing what comes naturally, because as we've talked about, that's a hot mess. Well, and we have an agreement that we're always either willing to pray or we're not going to talk because, right. I mean, if we're not willing to pray, it's probably because we're not in a good place, good enough place to, to solve anything. Right. And, and, one example I give to kind of persuade you why you should make agreements like this. We tell our children all the time, don't we know the answer in advance when someone offers you drugs mm. or alcohol or I love a cigarette. This example. And, and we say, why, why, why do we say that? Why do we say decide in advance? Because when you're in the heat of the moment, you don't think well, when you're under a lot of peer pressure, you don't think well. We need to apply that same teaching to ourselves. Okay, what are we going to do when that inner child starts to come out? When we feel under a lot of emotional pressure or flooding, then if we've established those intentional practices, that uh, agreement kicks in 
at that moment and, and saves the situation from getting worse. Yeah, definitely. I love that. All right. Um, we've all heard the saying that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And we're talking about intentionality in this podcast a little different from the way that we talk when we're mentioning uh, that that old cliche. I think, however, regardless of what your intentions are, it's good to look at what can go wrong. That doesn't mean be paranoid. That doesn't mean assume that anything will go wrong. It's not Murphy's Law. It's just always good to think about uh, our own uh, weaknesses and imperfections and the, and the possibility that something that we intend to go well uh, won't go well. Or that the intentions we're setting aren't the right thing for us. Right. Most of the great tyrants of history were utterly convinced of their own rectitude, whether you're talking about Emperor Napoleon or Caesar or, uh, you know, Adolf Hitler. I mean, he, you know, if you read Mein Kampf, he had a, a view of the world that, uh, you know, he was trying to set up a new a new order for his master race. And, uh, you know, it would have been good if someone could have pulled him aside and given him a little old Jeffersonian rhetoric about how all men and women are created equal. But in any case, do you think he would have listened? I, I don't know because he was utterly convinced of his own rectitude. How do we avoid that falling into the same trap, albeit on a smaller scale? Or at least we hope a much smaller scale. Right. What do you think, Kathy? Well, uh, I think this is when it comes down to we want to include God. We want to include the spirit and also personal revelation as part of our intention setting. And I think that will help us steer clear of really, uh, really harmful downfalls in, in our um, in as we set our intentions and and our focuses. Right. And, and I think that will help us avoid unintended consequences. And, you know, the law of unintended, unintended consequences is that uh, trying to do something good sometimes creates a negative outcome. An example of that would be, you know, massive inflation from COVID stimulus money. Uh, the COVID stimulus money was... A good thing, meant to be a good thing. Meant to be relief for people that were suffering uh, because they couldn't go to work during COVID, uh, but it came with inflation, which nobody really intended. And so it's important to look at as many elements as we can when we make decisions about what to do and not become myopic in our focus. Well, and, and the myopic view uh, that can cause this you know, uh, road to hell paved with good intentions is uh, getting so focused on one part of our life that we leave out other really important areas. Um, and uh, Elder Oaks actually gave a really great talk called Our Strength Can Become Our Downfall. Um, and he gives a lot of really great examples, but one in particular that we just thought of while we were preparing for this podcast is um, uh, single moms saying that uh, they're too busy raising kids to date. And, you know, although we have a lot of compassion, I mean, I was a single mom myself uh, for that. Uh, we also um, know that it's important to 
for for us to be able to be well-rounded and be able to focus on more than one just one one part of our life if we you know if, if in any way that we can um i know for me my my downfall was not being too busy to date because i dated plenty mine was um, being too busy to take care of myself right and then i got um really sick from that and um we uh i think and, and that's where i think we can all uh use a good look at whether our strengths are building us up and supporting us fully or if, or if it's becoming a downfall. Elder, one of the examples, and I don't know why this one comes to mind for that Elder Oaks gave, was a, a kid that was going to school at BYU, and he became almost a full-time church worker. He was constantly ministering, you know, home teaching three times a month, going to the temple three nights or four nights a week. And, and was really, I mean, gung-ho about church service, which we would think is a great thing, right, To that he's serving a lot and getting a lot of fulfillment out of that. But his stewardship at that time, according to Elder Oaks, his primary stewardship was school. And he was neglecting and ultimately flunked out of university because uh, he allowed a strength, the desire to serve God and serve in the church, to take over his life and and avoid things that were really um, important at that point in time. I actually do remember that example. And he gave a lot of really other great good good um, examples. And so that's a, t a talk that we'd recommend you check out as um, you become more intentional in your life to right. avoid that uh, becoming a tyrant of history right. and being convinced of your own rectitude. <laughs> right on the level, you know, whatever level that might, you know, possibly entail. But I think for the most part, setting intentions is is really wonderful. And we can set them for all kinds of things and for every facet of our life. Right. And um, I know one intention that I have every day is to wake up and to stay, to be in and to stay in a place of feeling good. And that's not always easy with our human bodies and our um, frailties, especially if you have a tendency towards anxiety or depression, um, or maybe you're energetically vulnerable to the people around you. Um, there's, there's all sorts of things that can get in the way of that. But really, I, I believe that the energy we carry affects those around us. And as often as we can be in that place of feeling good, we can raise the energy vibration of, of others. Right. An example of, of how you might use this, and, and this is just an example, but let's suppose you've been a little down, a little depressed, and you think, what would, what would help? And you think about all the things that have helped you traditionally when you felt that way. Maybe getting some exercise, maybe reading your scriptures if you're not doing that, you know, will, would help to lift your spirits. I mean, there's any number of things. But let's use those two examples. You could decide, okay, intentionally, I'm going to make it a priority to exercise at least every other day. And it, and I'm going to set it as a priority to read my scriptures for at least 10 minutes every day and see if those lead measures, for lack of a better word, make an impact on your lag measures. Well, and... Part of setting an intention to read scriptures would be knowing where they are and putting them in a convenient place. 
Uh, and and one thing I just want to caution, caution our listeners with is to not use your intentions as a stick to beat yourself up because um, it's only for to make your life better. And if it doesn't, then um, reconsider. Right. The opposite of intentionality in my mind is not laziness. It's really uh, the opposite of intention in my mind is haphazard. It's sort of letting whatever happens happens and not trying to um, have anything to, you know, to focus on those things that we can control. Right. And we're the creators of our life. We believe that. And uh, if we're not actively creating it, then it's just happening to us. And that's not really how we're meant to live. Um, yeah. So um, we want to actually wrap up this conversation with um the, we love the word intention so much that it's in the title of our book, Intentional Courtship. And uh, it's, it's a mid-singles guide to peace, progress, and pairing up in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And um, we, we use the word intention a lot uh, in the book, but we also, it's, it's kind of an overarching theme, really. And all the chapters, um, the 20 chapters are divided into um intentionally creating peace in your life if you've after you've lost a relationship or if you've never been married or um and you're it's later in life um later in life really for us is anything anyone beyond the possibility of a first marriage in your 20s um we feel like love and and relationships and families uh dynamics get a little more complicated in that after that so um so that's for really anyone in that situation that would like to create more peace in their life intentionally. And, um, and then once you have peace in your life, um, you can progress in, in, in dating. And of course there's a lot to dating. So, um, we cover a few chapters there and then ultimately, uh, we want to pair up with the very best match for ourselves. And, um, that pairing up is probably where like the very most intention happens. You know, what, what are you looking for? And, um, what can you, uh, tolerate because we're all human. No one's perfect. There's no way we can, a any of us can find a perfect person. So what, uh, what are the things that, you know, you're willing to deal with, um, whatever they be? Uh, yes. And you can imply the, the power of intention, both to finding a good match and to creating a relationship with that person. And, and of course, in creating the relationship, some of it is just setting your own intentions and some of it is talking with your partner and setting those intentions together and coming up with agreements that work for you. Yeah. Well, I, I'm just really super excited because uh, this is a book that we wrote and uh, we, we feel inspired by, and we are super excited to share it with the world coming this fall. Absolutely. So remember folks, anytime, is the right time for more love in your life. Thank you for listening to Love in Later Years. Please go intentionally subscribe to it, and we'll talk to you next time. Subscribe to LilyPod to get notice of each new weekly episode. If you enjoy what you heard, share with those you love. For more information about our organization and services, visit loveinlateryears.com.